Hey, it's Chris, one of the producers of The Spark. Did you know that you can go back and listen to all of our past episodes of the show anytime that you want? It's simple. Just go to thesparkpod.com. There you can listen to past episodes, get detailed show notes, links to Stephanie's recommendations as heard on the show, and more. You'll also find links to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and other platforms so you never miss an episode. Again, that's thesparkpod.com. And now, on with the show. We humans are, in that way, incredibly similar to each other. Um, We're also incredibly resilient. People really do endure so much and still have their humanity. And if we can help them to resolve some of what they experienced so that they can move forward in life, that's really the hope. A car wreck, a natural disaster, or an intruder in your home. This is the material that nightmares are made of and what the real-life trauma experiences are that can change our lives and change our brains. Tonight, I talk to two therapeutic trauma experts who help others transform their trauma into triumph, reclaiming their lives and rewiring their brains using EMDR therapy. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I'm joined today with Flo Holt. Flo is a licensed professional counselor in private practice here in Fort Collins. She's been in private practice since 2000 and living in Fort Collins, Colorado since 2004. Today I want to talk to her about these very important things that she's involved in as our show today talks about trauma and EMDR. Also, Flo is an internal family systems therapist. So I'm excited to have her here on the show. Welcome, Flo Holt. Thank you, Stephanie. It's great to be here. Tell us a little bit, before we get into some of the talking about EMDR, and I want to better understand about internal family systems mm-hmm. therapy, what, what is some of your background? How, how did you get here? Oh, that's always such an interesting question, especially for therapists, because we all have these really tangential stories about how we got there. I graduated with my therapy degree in 1988, so I've had the skills for a long time, but I think it took a lot of self-confidence and inner growth to make the decision to be in private practice. And so I went from banking, where I was a bank vice president, and I had a major shift in that and decided I needed to be doing something different. And this is what the different was, was private practice. It was a very interesting process, and uh, it involved a lot of personal growth and change for me. Wow, very different. Very different. And um, I loved banking. Um, My bachelor's degree was in business. And when I got my bachelor's degree, I immediately started my master's degree, which was a counseling degree, but I was in school in Texas. And then I moved to Colorado to work at a dude ranch. (laughs) Excellent. It's very tangential. And then while there, I decided to move from where I lived in Abilene, Texas, to Gunnison, Colorado. And then I started finishing my graduate work there. Well, isn't that interesting, though? I think that's part of what makes us really good therapists is that we have these eclectic backgrounds. Really eclectic backgrounds, yes. And and lots of just human experience through all these different capacities. I think that's really cool. Absolutely. From 1988 in Gunnison County, Mm -hmm. you were working with, you had told me earlier, domestic violence? 
they have an agency there called Jubilee House, and Jubilee, I was on the board of directors with Jubilee House, and they worked with victims of domestic violence, and they also provided shelter for them. I'm not sure if they do that anymore. Um, I know the entity still exists. So I worked with on the board with Jubilee House, and sometimes I had some unusual roles in actually staying at the house and working with some of the clients there. And I also wrote a grant with the Colorado Tru- for the Colorado Trust, and we put on a training in Gunnison for medical professionals professionals related to domestic violence. So we were trying to train the community on how to respond to domestic violence. And it was a great experience. Gunnison is such a small community, you get to know everybody. And so I was very familiar with everybody I was working with. But it was a wonderful experience. And then moving to Fort Collins. Yes, that was a big change in my life. Yes, absolutely. And then you started private practice in 2000. Yes. And so how long have you been internal family systems therapist. That's a new a new training. I took that training in 2013 and 14 in Boulder and there's a pretty significant IFS community in the state of Colorado. I'm also EMDR therapy trained and I wanted additional tools to work with some of my clients because I often work with complex trauma which is more of clients who have attachment injuries and trauma. And because of that, there's some dissociation going on. And I needed additional tools to do that besides just the EMDR skills that I had. And so I took this IFS training in hopes of gaining some of that ability to communicate in a better way with my clients so I could hear them better and get parts of myself out of the room so that I could honestly hear my clients. So tell us a little bit about what, what does it involve? That's an interesting question. The The goal of internal family systems is to have a client be able to sit in their strongest self part, but be able to communicate and hear the other parts of themselves that are activated or active in that moment. And this doesn't only apply to dissociative clients, this applies to you and I, just like there's a part of me sitting right here with you that's very nervous. (laughs) And so I can sit and I can look you in the eye, but I've got this part off here over on my right side in the back, and she's really yammering about being nervous that this is gonna be on the radio and other people are gonna hear this. And from my truest self, I can say, we're going to be fine. (laughs) We don't have to listen if we don't want to listen. Right. But it's an awareness that I have other parts of me, just like when someone says to you, oh, part of me really wants to go out tonight, and the rest of me, I just need to be home sitting on the couch with my cat and watching whatever I want to watch. I'm going to watch Grey's Anatomy. And it's a part of honoring that I actually have parts internally that don't always want to be doing the same thing at the same time. And I love that. Actually, an earlier guest, Larry Bloom, talked about how we really can have these two sides in us. I remember hearing that when I was listening to him. Yeah. So one side being Chicken Little, the other side being the warrior side of us. Right, that warrior side that really wants to get out there and go do it. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and And I love the part that you're talking about, that we can really be in touch with an inner strength part of ourselves. Absolutely. That truest self. Yeah, this tr- I love that term, the truest self, mm-hmm. even if these other parts of us, like you said, are activated. Oh, because they're so going might to be. Scared. They are going yeah. to be. So regardless of that, pulling up on that or tuning into, if you will, that, that strength side of us. Right. And being able to listen to what those parts need, honoring what they need, and still being to be in our truest self. So that training, I can see how that complements EMDR really perfectly. It does an amazing job of complementing EMDR therapy, yes. And so later in the show, we, we interview Janet Wright yes, um, and discuss the meaning of EMDR. But to go ahead and kind of introduce what EMDR is to our listeners, mm-hmm. 
just a little bit briefly of what EMDR stands for and what that therapy entails. EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And that's usually how it comes out of my mouth with a bit of a stumble (laughs) because desensitization (laughs) is a tough word to get out sometimes. It's an unusual type of therapy because it involves an outside stimulus of some sort um, that's moving in front of someone's eyes or else buzzers they're holding in their hands or headphones that they've got on their ears with alternating signals to the left and the right side of the body. So I could hold my fingers up in front of your hands and move them back and forth from the left to the right side of your face. And your eyes are the only thing that moves. And I know that sounds really unusual, but there's there's something about how we pair these external motions of bilateral stimulation with the pattern of thought that we set up from the very beginning with this process that allows trauma material that's held in your body on many levels, whether it's a picture, a flashback, a nightmare, a somatic response that your body is holding. It allows those intrusive images and pictures and sensations to subside and be, and move from an unhealthy stored part of our brain to a part of our brain that stores them in a more healthy, linear manner that makes more sense. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And, and I think one of the that powerful things. That was one giant run-on sentence, by that, the way. That's all right. That, that, that's, I think that you described it perfectly. And, and being an EMDR level right. two certified therapist right. myself, of course, it probably makes more sense to me, right. maybe. But I do think one of the huge gains in EMDR therapy by using this bilateral stimulation as a mm-hmm. way to reprocess this trauma, what it separates literally is the memory from our physiological response to it, like the trigger, right. the anxiety, the panic attack. Right. So I, I wanted to get into it a little bit. I know that one of the things you had just shared with me before the interview started was you use these modalities as ways of truly looking from really a bigger scope of how to heal and help our clients. Absolutely. While I use these two processes frequently in my office, the internal family systems and the EMDR therapy. My goal is to help someone heal in whatever way is best for them. So if either of these ways feel incongruent, um, I can work with the other one to help someone heal. And I have a lot of training experience, so not just in these two models, that really are ways to help a client move through whatever that stuck piece is in their traumatic story and move forward in their life to be able to let that go. I think that really is, hopefully as therapists, that's our goal, that we have an eclectic, experiential knowledge base. And so we're able to utilize whatever pieces will be most impactful at helping our clients heal. Right. As today's show was focusing on the EMDR, I wanted to talk with you a little bit, because I know you're also involved in a bigger organization of EMDR. On a couple levels, yes. So tell me about that. With a woman named Darina Rue, who's a social worker here in town, we co-coordinate the Northern Colorado Regional EMDRIA network. And what that network involves, it's a collaboration of, um, there are probably 150 therapists on our email list right now. And we meet, as many of us that can, this is, we meet in a smaller group, but probably... 25 to 50 of us meet at a time for quarterly meetings where we bring in guest speakers to help train the EMDR clinicians in our community, either whether it's working with how to work with veterans is our next 
training. We had previously had an art therapist come in, and these are typically EMDR-trained clinicians who have changed things about EMDR to work really well with the populations they work with, and then they come in and present that material to us, and it's great. It's really educational. It also gives the EMDR therapists an opportunity to collaborate with each other because we are honestly in our offices all the time, and we don't get that opportunity very often. And we need that connection as we well. We need that and, connection. And we can learn and grow from each other. Absolutely. Yeah, that's wonderful. So I want to talk, too, a little bit about, and I don't know, you know, of course, we have to really respect confidentiality. Yes. But I, I'm curious about the changes that you've seen. You know, when people have undergone trauma mm-hmm. and they're feeling pretty incapacitated, I think this this is an important thing and one of the reasons I wanted to do this show on mm-hmm. people understanding EMDR a little bit and, and the help that they can get is I've seen the tremendous results, you know, in my own life. I've, I've right. done EMDR and in the lives of my clients. Right. For me, I think one of the, the biggest things was having a severe car accident and at 19 and then not mm-hmm. being able to fly. Okay. After that. Really big. Tr- really right. Big. Someone else was driving the car. And after that happened, you know, no matter how much I said I would bang on the cockpit, nobody would let me fly the plane. Okay. You know, so Mm -hmm. this feeling of being out of control. I got out of the hospital and three days later, I was on an airplane flying from here, from Denver to L.A. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I cried the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that literally lasted about 10 years. Oh, Stephanie, that's a really long time. Yeah, it was a really long time. Mm -hmm. But EMDR wasn't really in my awareness. Okay. And and a lot of therapists at the time weren't trained, you know, in Fort Collins or Wyoming. When I finally learned, you know, I I think my stepsister was getting married Mm -hmm. and my father was like, you need to fly. You know, I'm like, no, no, I'll drive 28, <laughs> you know, 28 hours to Dallas. It'll be fine. Uh, it'll, it'll be fantastic for the weekend. Mm-hmm. But that really changed my life. And here I am all these years later, right? you know, 20 some years later, and I love flying. Oh, that's fabulous. So, so to see that healing within myself. Absolutely. And then also, so this, this is great. I wanted to share one quick Mm-hmm. you know, example. And then I, I want to hear some of yours. I, I had a woman who said that she would be happy to let me share this with other clients, Oh, nice! as well as um, being able to share it on our show. Mm-hmm. And it was actually when I do EMDR, I usually start with probably as you do resourcing. Mm-hmm. So we, we give the clients kind of a hardwired relaxation response, right? Right. In the first couple sessions, we're, we're going to work on that. And then what I like to do is a session that I say it's not on the big trauma. Right. I want to help acclimate their brain to how this process Absolutely. works. And so this particular gal, when she thought of what might be like on a scale from zero to 10, zero being no disturbance or neutral, 10 being the highest stur- disturbance you could imagine, about a four for her, mm-hmm. but was still really impacting her life, was that she noticed, here she was, 49 years old, she would run past the basement door that led downstairs Mm -hmm. when it was dark at night. And she's like, I just noticed I have some anxiety going by there. I'm not quite sure why, but I get this real nervousness. And I I noticed I run by the door and she was, I know this is going to sound strange, but I jump into bed. I'm, it's like, I'm afraid, you know, that something's maybe under the bed. Right. None of this is rational to me, but I I notice I have this behavior. So interestingly, as we search this back, Mm -hmm. what, what we found out when she was actually, when she was in junior high, she'd seen the movie Carrie. 
Okay. And at the end of Carrie, if anybody remembers that old horror movie, the hand jumps up from the grave <laughs> right. at the end. Right. And it had traumatized her. It wow. scared her so much that she literally thought, oh, my gosh, I'm afraid of things reaching out and grabbing me in the dark. Wow. So wow. it was like something downstairs grabbing her from the dark mm-hmm. or something under the bed. Right. And what was so cool is she noticed within two weeks, you know, we, the first week we didn't get to go all the way mm-hmm. through it. We did a little bit of the EMDR. And then the second time we, we got all of it. And she wow. said, oh, my goodness. She's like, I don't even register as I'm walking by That's the doorway great. or I'm walking to get into bed that there's even anything I need to be aware of. Oh, that's an amazing story. So that, that emphasized a f- uh, piece of what we do with when we're setting up EMDR, which is called the float back, where we go back in time and we try and figure out what is, when else do you remember feeling this way or when else do you remember believing, having this belief that is part of this experience of whatever symptom you're bringing up right now. And so that was a great example of that float back. That, and who would think that seeing the movie Carrie would create such a sensation in someone? That's but, really unusual. But isn't that the truth and the important piece that it really is what we call these small T traumas? Absolutely. That impact us more more than we would ever realize. Right. And I think that's one of the things that people may not realize about EMDR therapy because I think it gets um, presented in the world often as something that has to be used with PTSD. But actually we find it can be used in, in a lot of areas or the smaller traumas, the scary experiences, the things that we're doing in our life that are really dysfunctional but we have no idea where their point of origin is from. And so we get to float back in time to figure out where do I think that came from or when else do I remember this? And it tends to be really unrelated, disconnected things that we have no idea impacted us in this in that way. But like, like you were saying earlier, but there's some belief or something that gets held right, on to. Right, something gets stuck. Something yeah. actually gets stuck in our brains. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you able to share any of your own successes well, or what you've experienced? I can, I can share the, um, one of the things I can share is one of my first experiences as an EMDR clinician. And so I was trained in 2002 and 2003. And I lived in Gunnison at the time, and the EMDR community did not yet require consultation. So they train you. um, They would train you a year apart. That was something different that's changed now. They would train you um, level one in one year and level two in the next year. And in that in-between period of time, you just went home and practiced with your clients. And... As I say that now, and I'm an EMDR consultant now, and so the thought of that horrifies me. At the time, I was a brave soul, and I was working my way really hard and trying to help people heal. I was often working with victims of domestic violence, car accidents, um, adolescents who are really struggling. But what I, what I did work with that was so meaningful and powerful to me is a woman in the community had been um, has a place that's her favorite place in the world. And she would go out there every single morning for some exercise, whether she's skiing or biking or running. And um, one day she came upon a suicide victim. And it was really terrifying for her. And it's terrifying to say it. Yeah. It's terrifying to imagine what that's like for someone to be in their most peaceful place. And it suddenly got tainted by something so sad and traumatic. Very, very distressing. 
And she came into my office, and we were to able to work through that entire trauma in one afternoon. And so she was she was a real go-getter. She really just stuck in there the whole time because she really needed to neutralize this trauma so she could go be back in her favorite place. And she, she had not been able to go back there at all since finding that person. The uh, level of distress was unbelievable for her. And the amount of change that happened in her in just one afternoon of doing this work was unbelievable. She was able to leave my office. She had no level of disturbance anymore at all. She was able to go back into that um, space the next day and be good. And that was right at the beginning of my EMDR work. And it had such a profound impact on me as a clinician to know that I could have and help someone heal in such a big way in such a short amount of time. It felt amazing. Oh, it's so powerful. Absolutely powerful. And and the wonderful thing, too, that I want to make sure that we highlight is that the change is permanent. It's not that then a week later she comes back and is no, she ha- she's never had to follow up again on that work. I'm sure I would have heard from her. And the only thing I heard from her was a note saying this was the most helpful thing I could have done. There was a period of time from when that event happened to where I saw her. And so she and she was suffering. She was really suffering a great deal and having flashbacks and nightmares. And so what happens often is and most of the time is one time of the processing and that does not mean one session by the way (laughs) but one time of going through an emdr process with someone will often clear the traumatic memory and a person's internal relationship with that story it's changed forever and the other thing that you highlight that i think is so wonderful is that as a clinician what an amazing thing to be witness to that healing process and someone else. What an honor it is to be with these people. They are in their most traumatized, distressed state, and they're willing to let us go there with them when they are having the most difficult time and help heal them and help them move forward while they they work on healing themselves while we work on helping them heal. And there is an unbelievable honor in that. I don't even know how to give that word sometimes. To be with someone holding hands with them, so to speak, through hell, being with them yes. in absolute vulnerability. Absolutely. It, it is hard to find the words to express the, the gift of that. It's, it's a mutual right. gift. And right? that and what it what it means to be able to be there with someone and when they will let you be there. What is next for you? What's what's up ahead? I'm working on my certification right now for internal family systems, and then I don't know what's next after that. I um, I took a, a hypnosis training a couple years ago. I may spend a little more time exploring that. I'm not really sure yet. Part of the things that I found that you do are these journaling workshops. Yes, yes, and I haven't done those in quite a while. That's one of the things I did when I, I got my degree in 88, and then I started attending some journal writing retreats myself in 94 and 95. And was meeting some unbelievable women who were teaching people how to, mostly women, how to express themselves using their journals. And so I started teaching journal writing workshops in Gunnison in probably 97, 98. 
And I have been really fortunate to um, attend several trainings with Natalie Goldberg. And um, she's she used to be in Taos. I think she's in Santa Fe now. And I learned an amazing number of skills, and I felt like I really wanted to share those. So I brought those back to the Gunnison community, and I, w- I taught journal writing workshops until I left that community. And it was a very incredible experience. It's something I did here for a short amount of time. And then I think because my practice is in the place that it is right now, it's not something I'm, I'm doing in my life, but it's something I'd really enjoy going back to at some point. Well, I'm going to be your biggest fan encouraging you to do that as I as I keep hearing more and more how there's a true resurgence of that and Absolutely. being able to journal write in a way that truly helps us to heal. It's not just the, you know, the old dear old diary type. Not I'm going to write, you know, all right. the woes of that happened today, but things that really help hardwire some strengths and Absolutely. some things within us that, that also help us heal. The experience of teaching journal writing workshops was all we would do is we would meet and I would say here's your prompt and go and we would write for however long we would write and then we would share our writing with each other and there's also that piece of it not only the part we get from the journal writing but having another person to share that experience with to share our words our emotions whatever's coming up in that moment is incredibly powerful for us and while I know that your practice is completely full right now Where can people find out more about you, Flo? Um, Although my website isn't the most up-to-date piece of information, it's a great way to contact me. And so my website is livethejourney.com. Well, Flo, thank you for sharing this time with us. And you're just such a delight and someone I just enjoy seeing. I think it's wonderful that Flo and I actually share a building. And just a delight to see you and get to know you better. Absolutely. And I, I enjoy running into you in the building as well. And so thank you for inviting me here today. I appreciate it. Hi, this is Sandy Gaines, host of It's Yesterday Once More. KRFC relies on sustaining memberships, sponsors, and underwriters to bring you the sounds and stories of Northern Colorado. Learn more about becoming a member in corporate underwriting at krfc.fm. Next time on The Spark. They have just completed a five-year study of what happens to kids starting at around age five or six until 10 or 11 who study music uh, versus kids who do sports and versus kids who do nothing in particular. And the brain of a child who works seriously on music, and by serious that means steadily and practices and has help and it's ongoing and they want to improve on a regular basis, their brains grow differently and they have more areas lighting up in MRI scans. And the kids doing sports did not have the same level of interaction because music combines not just physical activity, but really serious uh, cognitive stuff. Small muscle, large muscle, memory is involved, imagination is involved, the ear is involved. So it's an aspect of language is involved. It's got everything happening. We talk about the healing and transformative power of music with world-renowned composer and educator Bruce Adolfi, resident lecturer and director of family concerts for the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center in New York, and with violinist Jeff DeBernstein, whose nonprofit organization Off the Hook Arts provides music performance education for students in the community through public concerts featuring world-class musicians. Next time on The Spark. And I'm here tonight with Janet Wright, 
Janet is a licensed clinical social worker who has been counseling children, adolescents, and adults for over 30 years. She received the 2013 Lifetime Achievement Award from the Colorado chapter of the National Association of Social Workers and was named 2011 Social Worker of the Year. Janet is also an Andrea-approved consultant and provides EMDR basic training to clinicians who do EMDR with children and adults. Through her involvement in the EMDR Humanitarian Assistance Program, she volunteers to provide EMDR training to clinicians working with underserved populations nationally and internationally. Along with colleagues, she has trained clinicians in the Middle East for many years in treating trauma. I'm so thankful to have her here in the studio with us. Welcome, Janet, to The Spark. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm delighted to be here. Give us a little bit of information, a little background information about some of the other things. When I got on the website and looked at all the different things that you're involved in, <laughs> it was very impressive. It was wonderful. So tell us a little bit about what you specialize in other than we're going to be focusing on the EMDR side. Okay. Um, well, you know, I've been in practice a long time, so I've done a lot of things. Um, I've worked in addiction. I've worked a lot with children, particularly children experiencing sexual abuse, and that involved court testimony for many years. I've been in the mental health field. I've worked for schools. Um, I've been in private practice now for many years, treating people with, you know, a variety of concerns. And trauma being, being one of the major things yes. that, that, that you specialize in. Yes, for sure. And trauma, and we define it pretty broadly now in our field because it's not just those maybe major events, maybe a one-time sexual assault or a terrible car accident. It's really anything that really is disturbing to the individual, particularly if it's set in childhood can be, you know, what we call an adverse life experience, so it can be difficult. I know that in EMDR training, they talk about the big T traumas, like you talked about, like a natural disaster or a car, you know, accident or rape, or the, the small T's, which we can, you know, exactly. we all have small T's. We all do. And actually, there was significant research back in 2005 that showed that those small T, smaller T traumas set, especially developmentally when we're growing up, maybe it's my dad always called me stupid, that that can be as disturbing or more than those big T traumas where, you know, they're so out of the range of normal events and obviously disturbing, but it's that, that over time developmentally can be just as difficult. And I think that's, that's such an important thing to note because I, I know that a lot of my clients, I notice they'll minimize the trauma they've been in, you know, they, the small T traumas. Well, I was just bullied. Exactly. Or, you know, my parents went through a divorce and, and you know, I've, I felt neglected. And they th say, well, someone else has gone through so much more. And we can't compare them. That's right. It, That's it's our right. own individual experience of that. Even if it is a small T trauma, it's still significant within us. And like you said, how it sets up then how we are in the world, exactly. how we perceive ourselves. Especially when it happens in childhood, because kids begin to believe things about themselves that are a result of what they experience. They don't understand a bigger picture often, and so they come to believe there's something wrong with them. When we get those messages, too, from adults, like yes. you were saying, like if the dad is saying you're stupid over and over again, as little kids, we look at adults and say, oh, they know the truth. They, they have a corner on the truth, and so what they say must be accurate about me. Yeah, that's right. EMDR is one of those things that's going to help with changing those long-held beliefs. And and so to begin with, a lot of our listeners probably don't know what the acronym EMDR stands for. So I was wondering if, if you could help define that acronym and then help, help explain then 
just what the core of EMDR treatment involves. So it's a long name. It's a cumbersome name, um, but it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And it's based on how our brain processes experiences. And in our daily life, all the time, we're making sense of our world. You know, we're understanding, oh, that neighbor's dog ran out at me and barked. I'm kind of afraid of that. I'm going to avoid that dog. But when we have really significant events that happen, maybe that are very difficult for us to manage, or if we have those events over time, especially growing up, the brain doesn't handle it as well. And those memories seem to get stored differently than our more adaptive, we call them adaptive memories, when our brain just takes care of it. We learn from our experience. And so Dr. Francine Shapiro, back in 87, 1987, discovered that when she moved her eyes back and forth very quickly, that if she was thinking of something disturbing, that it tended to be less disturbing afterwards. So being at heart a researcher, she went and did research. Um, she went to work with vets. And she found that actually these eye movements can really desensitize the memory. It's not that we lose the memory, but they're less disturbing to us and allow us to sort of move on in our lives. So that's really the core of, of EMDR. It sounds like such a cumbersome name. And I will be honest, when I first heard of it back in the, in the 90s, I thought, oh, I don't know. I think this is probably ridiculous. I was very skeptical. But I saw colleagues having, colleagues I trusted having very good success in treating especially trauma. And so I went to get the training, and I realized, oh, they're really on to something in terms of the brain processing. So I got trained, and it really does transform what I can offer to clients. So you've been doing it for? Since about 2000. I was EMDR trained as well. I'm an e, uh, EMDR level two. That's great. Trained therapist. So I've been doing it for about 10 years now. And like you too, I, I see the amazing results. And I w that was one of my questions for you was going to be what interested you. Yes. And it sounds like so you, you had colleagues and people that you saw were having these results. Yes. So my father is a psychotherapist and my stepmother is a psychologist in Austin. They have a private practice and have for about 35 years. And so I remember about 12 years ago, mm -hmm. I had asked my father, I said, well, who has been your longest client? We were kind of talking about the longevity of therapy. And he said he had had one gentleman for eight years. Now, this gentleman for eight years was, of course, he didn't tell me any defining details, but he was a gentleman that was involved in the Black Hawk Down incident. He yes. was one of the soldiers. And he said for basically eight years, he was just trying to keep this gentleman alive. And it was before my father was EMDR certified. So he said the interesting thing was once he became EMDR certified and did EMDR with this gentleman, literally it was four months later that this guy was no longer his client and the bigger testament to EMDR, because this gentleman was a guy who couldn't go to grocery stores, he couldn't go to a movie theater, he, he just was pretty much agoraphobic, he just stayed home. A year later, after EMDR treatment, my father was his officiant in his wedding in Cancun. Yeah, that's fabulous. And, you know, that's our experience is we have such an ability. The brain has such an ability to heal. And, of course, as therapists, it's wonderful to be able to offer that. You know, and it does vary from person to person. We can't make guarantees, but I've had similar experiences, and they, they're very healing and they're very powerful, and it's really an honor to be able to be part of that. 
I, I think it is one of the most wonderful gifts, right? To see, yes. to be witness Absolutely. to someone's, you know, reclaiming their life. Absolutely. And thriving. So I'm, I'm curious too, we talk about that it's the eye movement and then it's also advanced to where people are wearing headphones and they're holding these sensors. When people ask you, well, what does EMDR quote unquote do for me? What, <laughs> what do you tell them? You know, that's the big question that we all wish we knew. Um, we know that it's effective. We have great evidence. We're actually considered evidence-based now, psychotherapy. There's a lot of research going on. And to be honest, we don't yet know fully, as many forms of psychotherapy don't know fully, what is the healing component. We do believe it has something to do with the, either the eye movements or what we call bilateral stimulation, stimulating two sides of the body, thus two sides of the brain. Many theorists will liken it to that REM sleep, that rapid eye movement sleep, that's so restorative to us when we sleep and kind of makes sense of the day. Um, there's some other theories. I know there's some really nice research going on at Harvard around the REM sleep theory, but it's early. And it's actually difficult research to figure out what's the component here, but we do know something is happening in the brain. You know, the, there are those functional brain images that have been taken before and after treatment with EMDR, and the parts of the brain that are firing, that are working, actually change. So we know something profound is happening, and we don't exactly know what yet. I wish we did. But th I think that's one of the important pieces is there, there's about 30 years now of empirical research right. behind this. Absolutely. So it, it's not just a theory. We have lots and lots of evidence that this is a very sound protocol that we're using. Absolutely, and we have great research now and on many different kinds of populations. So it's not just for PTSD. It's not just for trauma as we might sort of narrowly define it. It's really for a wide range, depression, anxiety, panic disorder, phantom limb pain, eating disorders, so many struggles, so many things that people struggle with. Yes. And well, and, and I think that's an important point that you bring out. I know that mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I've done with my clients is the EMDR enhancements. Mm -hmm. When someone wants to, I, I had a particular client who had a lot of test anxiety. She was a student at CSU. What was amazing is we didn't get to go through what I would say would, would be literally a course of enhancement I would like to do, more yes. than one session. But even in one session, now this is, this is a woman who came to me and said, I have never gotten higher than about a D. She goes, I, I just, I get so anxious, I go blank when I go into, the, it was a certain biology class. And so by just doing an enhancement where we focused on being able to relax, imagining herself, and we were using the bilateral stimulation, the EMDR stimulation, and she saw herself going into the test, and we did the rescripting, you know, where you pull up the, the resources of just feeling relaxed and feeling confident. Anyway, she came back into the office the next week, and she was absolutely over the moon. She said, I got a B minus. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, you know, and that was a huge victory for her. That was a huge success because she really was able to use that bilateral stimulation. She was able to calm herself, and it enhanced her sense of well-being and calm so she could access some of that short-term memory that just leaves us when we're anxious. Yes, that's absolutely right, and it's exciting work. I know some of our colleagues in Colorado Springs work at the Olympic Training Center with athletes who are, maybe they've had a bad fall on the ice, or you know they're working through that difficulty and what we put in our brain, you know, how we can manage that and have some resources and strengthen those 
to really improve performance is, is a whole new area that is really expanding. Oh, that's exciting. Very I, much I hadn't so. heard about that. That's really yeah, exciting. Yeah, very much so. You trained with Francine Shapiro, who is the originator and developer of EMDR therapy. Tell us about your experience in training with Francine and what, what did that all involve? Dr. Shapiro is a very, as you can imagine, very intelligent woman. She's a very strong woman. You know, she figured this out. She went and she did research on it. She began to do trainings in it. And at that time, it was considered an experimental therapy. And so in time, we got enough research that now it's really, you know, accepted by many international bodies and the American Psychiatric Association and many bodies. But she is a very, um, she's kind, but she's also demanding, you know. So she, if we were going to train others in this therapy, she expected a lot from us. We had to essentially, a group of us, a small group of us would fly out to a setting where she would meet us. She would be doing some training of us, but then we would have to essentially present EMDR therapy to her, her theory, her therapy, and she would correct, advise, challenge, but she was incredibly kind, but she does set a high bar. She expects us to be able to introduce it and train people, and she wants people to know what the research is based on. So it's based essentially on the standard protocol using eye movements. Sometimes we have to make adjustments to that clinically, but she wants us to use that because that's what the research is based on. Use it if at all possible. But it was quite thrilling, really. It was um, challenging and intimidating, for sure, to work with her, but a great honor. I I counted among one of my best experiences. And when did you go through that training with her? That was back in about 2009, 2010. Okay. We went a couple times, and we had to go practice, have people review us and evaluate us, and it was quite the experience. Sounds like it. Well, and I think it's interesting <laughs> to note that, that her orientation, she's a scientist. She, she's not a psychotherapist or a psychologist. Right. That's her orientation, really, is research. Um, now, she does do some therapy now. You know, she does work with clients, but... Yeah, you know, her PhD is really very science-based, and so she's very interested, and she's always encouraging all of us and everyone doing EMDR, let's get more research. We need more research. Um, so we that's part of her mantra. From that, you have, I mean, taken this training, training the trainers, basically. Mm-hmm. You train other clinicians. And so I know it's not just here in Colorado. Can you talk a little bit about, I, I know I, I want to start talking about the humanitarian assistance program that you're doing. Okay. But can you tell us a little bit about just what where your training extends? Yes. Well, I was fortunate. I had been to um, the Middle East to do some training in art and play therapy back in the 1990s. And I was very connected to an organization, an NGO in the West Bank in outside Bethlehem, the East Jerusalem YMCA. And they were beginning to work with children and really wanted some help with. They were used to working with adults. They wanted help in how can we work with children. So a couple of us went and provided training. They just took off. They were very good clinicians. They did so much helpful work there for kids who were kind of in a constantly difficult situation. And then when I was trained in EMDR, I realized that that community really could benefit from figuring out how better can we treat PTSD and trauma. And of course, Dr. Shapiro, very early when she figured out EMDR, went to Israel 
and trained many people there, and they are very advanced. We learned from them, they learned from us. But the Arab world had not had as much access to trainings. And so I went in about 2004 and did a pilot study. It was a field study um, replicating a similar one that was done um, in Germany in a refugee camp with Kosovar Albanian children. And um, we got 30 children in the Bethlehem area who had been, who clearly met criteria for PTSD. And we did a three-day treatment of them. Um, It's in a group protocol, a group setting, and we trained the Arab clinicians, you know, how to do this, and I oversaw the program. And at the end of it, the clinicians said, we absolutely have to have this therapy for our community. And the parents were so impressed by the gains their children made. So I was able to connect with um, the EMDR Humanitarian Assistance Program. It's also called Trauma Recovery. And we began to assemble a team of trainers who could go and begin to train clinicians actually in the West Bank in Palestine. We had to train in Arabic, so it was through translation. We gathered some of the top people. We wanted the very best clinicians to learn it first. And our goal was Yes, we love to go. We love to go and provide these trainings, but can we train them, train trainers, Arab trainers, so they can train in their own language, in their own culture? So our goal was essentially to get ourselves out of the way, and in about 2012, 2013, we succeeded in that. So we now have a full EMDR training who trains in Arabic, and she has trained all over the Middle East. And we have a whole team of what we call facilitators who are able to help with the trainings. And they it's really the primary therapy that many of these folks are using in treating really ongoing trauma and stress. And I know they have been, you know, in Lebanon, they've been working with Syrian, the people who treat Syrian refugees. Um, they've been in Jordan and Turkey. So they have they've gone so many places. And now they're beginning to have a lead clinician from each of those countries who will then become a trainer for that country. So it's really so many people have been helped, and so many clinicians have now a therapy that's so helpful in treating trauma. That's just an amazing process. And to know that it's internationally, to share that gift and to see the impact it's having all over the world. It's been an incredible experience and really, you know, such a delight to do. EMDR now is used all over the world, every language, every country. I mean, we have some places we'd like to be more involved in, but it's really because it's based on how the brain works. You know, it's not culturally bound, which is really um, such a help. What an important piece. It is. And, you know, I think that's one of the things. It's the important message, again, that we're all much more connected than we realize. Exactly. More connected and more similar. Yes. I was just going to say that as well. Yes. Yes. We have much, many more similarities than we do differences. And so being able to heal from trauma, what a wonderful gift that we can give not only to our community, to our nation, it literally is to our world. Absolutely. And that's the hope, is that we can bring healing to really make our world better and to make people's lives better. I'm curious, on, on a little more of an individual level for you, just kind of thinking about your own personal life lessons, if you will. Mm. And as an individual, what, what are the things that have come through in your work and this process of helping others internationally, nationally, and at home? Boy, that's a, that's a big question. It, it is a big question. Um, I would say for sure that we all struggle 
Obviously, some people struggle more than others, but we do struggle to make meaning of our lives, to be able to move through our lives in a way that we feel okay about, that we aren't too weighted down, really, by things that happened maybe in the past or things that may have happened to us or that we may have experienced. And so I've really seen that we humans are, in that way, incredibly similar to each other. Uh, We're also incredibly resilient. People really do endure so much and still have their humanity. And if we can help them to resolve some of what they experienced so that they can move forward in life, that's really the hope. It is sort of a special privilege to accompany people, to partner with people on their journeys. You know, that brings, it's not always easy, as you know, um, and it's painful at times because people have experienced really dreadful things. And so I guess I've been I've been struck by our humanity. I'm also struck sometimes by the terrible things that we can do to each other and how resilient we are as human beings. Thank you for sharing that. I I think that you have a unique perspective that that Mm -hmm. so many people don't have privilege of Mm -hmm. who have never traveled out of the country. And definitely, and, and I say privilege because even though it is at times a painful privilege, mm-hmm. like you said, you, you are able to see into these people's lives and to know that we all have a shared humanity. And sometimes it's very painful. It is, and it, for all of us, if we can share some of it with another person, that makes a huge difference. It doesn't heal everything, but it's a big help. So if we have community, if we have support, if we have people we can trust to say, hey, I'm hurting, that can really be a significant help. So just that that first step of connectedness, that becomes then how we work. We're on this journey of healing. Yes, yes. I've, I've learned never to underestimate that. You know, for all, I mean, I love EMDR, all of our therapy techniques, and the relationship and the connection is absolutely vital. That takes me back to another example quickly. My father was actually a professor here at CSU in Mm. agricultural economics for 16 years. And then after divorcing my mother, kind of had a midlife transition, moved to Austin and went back to school to get his degree so that he could be in private practice with his current wife, who was a psychologist. And he talks about actually one of the people that were his advisors very interestingly, a very old man, and I don't remember his name, but he actually was Carl Rogers' analyst. Oh, my gosh. If you can imagine. Wow. And and so he talks about meeting with him, and I remember this is so funny, and I, and I can't say the actual word over the air, but he was talking about how they were talking about, you know, modalities of therapy and, and engaging clients, and this old guy sitting there just smoking a cigarette in the office <laughs> and says to my dad, well, you know— if you don't have a relationship, you don't have crap. Anything. That's right. <laughs> right. And that it really is these essential relationships, these connections that we make with people. Yes. And, and how beautiful that even though you don't speak the language, when you're over in the Middle East or you're over in Europe, there's still this, this human connection that you're having with these people. And even though there's an interpreter, it's, it sounds like that connection is what's helping to foster this healing. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I've seen. That's just powerful. It is. What would you say are the gifts for you then that you bring into your everyday practice? 
Well, I think a big gift is that I believe people can heal. Sometimes people come in and they feel depressed, obviously, and they think that it can't get any better. And I've seen time and again, I've seen people heal from such devastation and such wounding and such pain. And it it isn't overnight. It takes effort. It takes time. But I I have seen that and I believe in the power to heal um, and the power to change. And so I think that that's something for sure that empowers my work, um, that actually gives me hope in my own life and gives me hope for our world. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I, I love that because mm. that, that is the truth. It's the gift that, that we help to give our clients, and then it's also the gift that you receive. Absolutely. You know, it, it's, it's, again, these, I, I've, I've used this term before, but it's these concentric circles of healing and care that go out, and it really does. It, it starts from one person, and then that healing continues in these concentric circles, and we're able to gift the world. Yeah, that really is how I see it also. It, we impact each other, um, and when we have hope and healing in our lives, it, it has more of a chance to spread. And we, I mean, we all need it. You know, none of us is so well put together that we don't need some of that. So it is a message of hope. Thank you for that. What, what, what is next for you professionally? What's, what's <laughs> happening with you, with your trainings? Well, I'm continuing to go overseas occasionally. I'm going to be going to the Middle East, to Israel-Palestine um, this spring, and I will meet with colleagues and we'll do some consultation. I'm planning to go, I'm hoping to go, actually, when our Arab colleagues begin their trainer training so that they will be training to become EMDR trainings. I plan to be a part of that, which is very exciting to see the seeds that we planted many years ago take root, and now they are growing it themselves in really beautiful ways. So that's exciting. I have, you know, I've cut back my private practice. I've been in practice a long time, so I'm definitely cutting back on that. Um, But I do continue to provide trainings in EMDR, and that's incredibly rewarding because I feel, you know, that I'm enabling other therapists to have this great therapy that can help their clients. So there's a lot of meaning in that for me. And of course, my, my husband is retired now, and um, we're traveling a little more, and we have one of our sons and daughter-in-laws live overseas, and so we get to see them, and we have a son and his fiance in Denver, and so, you know, that's really the cream of life. That's the beauty and the good things. So I'm more relaxed now. I have more time, which is really a great thing. What a great gift that you're providing to these clinicians and and then the, you know, how it extends out from there. So to be able to still do that and then, like you said, be in this beautiful time in your life when you're <laughs> getting to really enjoy the good stuff. Yes, and, yes. And connecting with your own family and traveling. I'm blown away by the work <laughs> that you do, and I'm, I'm really honored to be able to sit here and visit with you Well, thank you very this. much. I feel honored to have been, uh, you know, a small part of sort of planting these seeds, and it's, you know, that's what makes life so rich. So let me ask you this. Is there a web page that our listeners can go to for more information about EMDR? Or if there's a clinician that wants to get a hold of you for future trainings, how, how does someone get a hold of you? Actually, I have a couple websites. They could just Google my name. I have a training website, and I also just have a website for my practice. So you can just Google Janet Wright, EMDR, 
or licensed clinical social worker. I did do my degree here at CSU, and um, you know I, I, I greatly appreciate that. I would say if they want more information on EMDR, they could go to emdr.com. And that's the uh, EMDR Institute's website. It's the training faculty um, and organization that Dr. Shapiro began. So there's really good information on the research, on what a typical session might be, how to find a clinician. There's lots of good information there. Thank you so much for sharing that and for sharing this time with us. Yeah, thank you very much, Stephanie. I've enjoyed it. The message tonight is one of hope. No matter what difficulties or traumatic events or circumstances arise in our lives, we can heal ourselves and heal the way our brains have held onto those past events. By utilizing EMDR therapy, we can carve out new neural pathways, disconnecting from what at one point might have left us feeling anxious and afraid, and to rewire our brains to hold on to more accurate, healthy beliefs and reduce our trauma response significantly. Both Flo and Janet show us that this healing is available within ourselves, our communities, and within our world. I also feel that an important takeaway from my conversations with both of these women is that we don't have to compare our experiences to anyone else's or to minimize our own painful experiences. There is no comparison. What has been painful for you is relevant in your life. That matters. We need to make sure that we are taking our own personal inventory and know we can heal the wounds and traumas that affect our lives currently so we can move beyond just surviving our lives, but we can actually heal and live fuller lives where we are thriving. We all experience different levels of trauma in our lives. EMDR helps give us hope that those traumas can be truly healed. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain on KRFC, Fort Collins, 88.9 FM, and podcast episodes are released the same day. To make sure you don't miss an episode, Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James.